All right, all right. Welcome to the Cava Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog of the murk, shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cava Ships Podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner supporting all services in all domains and America's only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. HII, delivering the advantage. Coming up, the U.S. Navy's 248th birthday seems a great time to check back with the U.S. Navy Memorial and the organization's president and CEO, retired U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Frank Thorpe, who will fill us in on how organizations like his help celebrate the men and women of the sea services. But first, a look at this week's Naval News. In a rare occurrence, two U.S. Navy carrier strike groups on opposite coasts deployed within hours of each other. On the West Coast on October 12th, the carrier USS Carl Vinson left San Diego to begin a Western Pacific deployment with Carrier Air Wing 2. While on the following day, October 13th, the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower with Carrier Air Wing 3 is scheduled to deploy from Norfolk. The deployments each were months in the planning and are not surge deployments tied to current events. Vinson will relieve the Japan-based carrier USS Ronald Reagan in the Western Pacific, while Eisenhower is to take over from the USS Gerald R. Ford in the Mediterranean Sea. The Ford, which was in the final weeks of an expected six-month deployment with the U.S. Sixth Fleet, was redirected from planned port calls in the Western Mediterranean to head east following the attacks by Hamas on Israel that began October 7th. The carrier, along with the cruiser Normandy and four destroyers, were on station in the eastern Mediterranean by October 11th. The Ronald Reagan, with the cruiser Antietam, arrived at Busan, Republic of Korea, on October 12th for a port call, part of an increased number of U.S. Navy visits to the ROK in recent months. The Reagan exercised with Japanese and Korean warships just before calling at Busan. Also on October 12th in the Pacific, a U.S. Navy P-8A Poseidon maritime patrol aircraft carried out a transit to Taiwan Strait. The fourth time this year, the U.S. has sent a P-8 through the Strait's international airspace. China, as usual, protested the flight, saying the U.S., quote, hyped it up publicly. The U.S. Navy hospital ship USNS Mercy, TAH-19, left San Diego October 10th to begin a Pacific Partnership cruise that will feature stops in the Republic of the Marshall Islands, the Solomon Islands, Palau, and the Federated States of Micronesia. Such soft power missions have proven successful for the United States and are emulated by hospital ships from the Chinese PLAN Navy as well. In new ship news, the attack submarine Hyman G. Rickover, SSN 795, was delivered from General Dynamics Electric Boat on October 11th and is scheduled to be commissioned October 14th at Groton, Connecticut. The new amphibious transport dock ship, LPD-32, will be named Philadelphia, Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro announced on October 12th. Previous ships bearing the name of the City of Brotherly Love included the attack submarine SSN-590, decommissioned in 2010, and the 1930s light cruiser CL-41, who fought throughout World War II. LPD-32 at the moment is the last amphibious transport dock ship on order, 
after a DOD-directed so-called strategic pause in LPD procurement announced in early 2023. Construction of the $1.3 billion LPD-32 was ordered in March from HII's Ingalls Shipbuilding in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And the Ingalls Yard on October 13th delivered the National Security Cutter Calhoun WMSL-759 to the U.S. Coast Guard. The 10th NSC, or Legend-class cutter, will be based at Charleston, South Carolina. Only one more national security cutter, the Freedman WMSL-760, is under construction. And that's a look at just some of this week's naval news. All right, we will move to the discussion portion of our show. We'll take a a little break from talking about uh, events around the globe. Chris and I will come back at the end of this discussion. We'll talk a little bit more about our view on what's going on uh, specifically from a maritime standpoint uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean. But we are really happy to be joined by this week's guest, Rear Admiral Frank Thorpe. Uh, Admiral Thorpe is the president and CEO of the Navy Memorial. Um, In addition to being a good friend, mentor, and friend of the pod, um, he's been at the Navy Memorial since 2016, um, retired from active duty. Admiral, in when? When did you retire? I want to make sure I get this right. 2009, Chris. 2009, sir. Wow. It doesn't seem like that long. But thank you very much for joining us. This is your second time on the podcast. And we want to get an update on the Navy Memorial and some of the cool events that uh, you just recently had and talk a little bit about the birthday. Uh, We are taping this earlier in the week, but as this pod is released, it is actually being released on the Navy birthday. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then uh, we'd like to talk to you a little bit about just sort of naval and maritime advocacy in general. Um, You've spent your entire life, both in uniform and out of uniform, talking about defense and maritime issues. So your view on that will be very important. So thank you again for joining us this week. Well, thank you, Chris. And and I think before we start, I uh, I just really want to congratulate you two uh, on the Defense Media Awards that you picked up in the Navy category. Um, uh, you know, I've known both of you for longer than I think any of us want to admit. And uh, and you guys are both truly pros. And, uh, you know, the word inform is in the mission of the Navy Memorial. I believe in my heart of hearts that uh, to have a good democracy, you have to have a well-informed public, and I really applaud you two on what you're doing, and that award really uh, is testament to uh, what you all have created. So congratulations to you two. Thanks, appreciate it. Thank you very much, sir. Um, you know, the the role of the Navy Memorial, both from a physical standpoint, but also from, a, um, I, I guess, a, a larger uh, standpoint across the, the Navy and maritime world um, has been significant for decades, but really within the last couple of years, I mean, you and your team um, before COVID, uh, during COVID with your uh, virtual programs and now after COVID, I mean, you've been very successful at communicating the mission of the Navy Memorial. Can you start just from a baseline standpoint, kind of reiterate that mission for our audience who may not be as aware because the nuances of the mission, I think, are very important. Uh, as they differ from some of the other organizations that talk Navy. Um, And then uh, I'd like to talk about some of the events that you guys have recently had. Yeah, sure. So uh, in short, our mission is all about the people. Um, We don't do uh, the hardware or anything like that, like some of the great museums do. Um, We're focused on the people. So there's four verbs in our mission, honor, recognize, celebrate, and inform. Uh, Sometimes people uh, confuse those three verbs, uh, honor, recognize, and celebrate, uh, but when you when we dig into it, they're really different. 
so our, our full mission statement is honor, recognize, and celebrate the men and women of the sea services, past, present, and future, and to inform the American public about their service. And uh, and the past, present, and future is important. Um, you know, we get a lot of veterans uh, who have served. Um, we'll host uh, this year about 160 honor flights here at the Navy Memorial. Um, and we get a, a lot of, of the folks who have served. And that's just tremendous. And we can talk a little bit about that. We get a lot of current. Um, we get a lot of active duty folks coming through here. Uh, and, you know, the, the National Chiefs mess has really uh, uh, been a big uh, boost for that. The tough one, though, Chris, is the future. And we, we've we taken that role really seriously about how do we contribute uh, to the, the national engagement about uh, youth's uh, desire to serve, in our case, in the sea services. And so uh, between a junior sailor program and an internship program um, and, and just the design of our exhibits and, and a ship handling simulator we're going to put in to have a little bit of fun with, for them, uh, we're really trying to focus on the future. Uh, the the uh, the people who will serve. We we've got a great partnership with the Sea Cadets program, great program, and uh, making sure that they have the opportunity to to see the fleet. Uh, and then on on the the point you're saying about location, um, you know, it's not missed upon us that we are on um, on America's Main Street on Pennsylvania Avenue, um, literally between Seventh and Ninth Street, so halfway between the White House and the Capitol. And uh, and you know, back when when uh, the Navy Memorial was was first uh, uh, envisioned in the 70s and opened in the 80s. Um, this is prime property, and and we get literally hundreds of thousands of visitors that come through here um, and look at the Lone Sailor Award statue. It's a photo magnet, and uh, and just gives people an opportunity to think that yeah, the Navy fights the away games, um, but uh, it puts the Navy in, in front of mind, and that's that's really what we're looking to do is is provide that gap um, of information about the men and women who serve uh, that between what they they earn, which is a, a, a rightful wage and a rightful recognition and rightful appreciation and, and what they deserve, which in, in our opinion is infinity. And so we try to fill that gap to make sure uh, that the men and women uh, who serve at sea are fully appreciated. And then we can talk about it if you want, but we now have 18 lone sailor statues uh, so in addition to the virtual programs, you talked about the opportunity to take lone sailor statues uh, around the world. We just uh, we dedicated one in in uh, Normandy uh, so we can no longer say we have, uh, you know, we used to say 17 lone sailor statues uh, in the United States. So and there's a couple other countries uh, now that the following Normandy are, are piping up um, that we may do. Uh, that, that I'm not ready to talk about yet, but there's two that are pretty exciting um, uh, to be able to put a lone sailor statue. Well, we we won't push you to break any news on, on this visit, but uh, that that's really cool. I, I think that is uh, probably one of the cooler things. I mean, I think people get when they see the lone sailor and they see the Navy Memorial there on Pennsylvania Avenue, but um, when you bump into it, you, you know, on your tra travels um, and you immediately um, feel that same uh, emotion that you do really when you think of your service, but also when you visit the Navy Memorial, it's cool to have that elsewhere so that other people uh, can, can enjoy it. Um, you just recently had the 2023 Lone Sailor Awards. Can you talk about that award and this year's awardees? I mean, it's a, a, another class of, uh, of of special supporters of the Sea Service. Yeah, we sure can. Um, you know, it's it's a cliche and 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 I don't like to use it a whole lot, but, but we're, but uh, 
but we're we're pretty uh, happy with uh, last Tuesday's event. We think it's the best the best one we've had, and uh, and I think it was a uh, you know last year was the first one coming back out of the pandemic, and and this one we were just fully back. So we honored three just absolutely great Americans: um, uh, Bob Work, uh, former Marine Colonel. Um, and, and as you two know real well, and a lot of your listeners probably know very well, um, you know, he's committed his life to service and, and whether in the think tech world or, uh, inside DOD, a real, uh, leader, thought leader about national security and, uh, and listening to his speech, um, he's so darn humble. He starts, uh, most of his speech was about his youth and about the learning the value of service. Uh, from his parents. And, uh, and, you know, a guy like Bob work could talk uh, forever about all of his accomplishments. And he really, he, he opted to talk about, uh, about what it meant to serve, what it meant to teach people to serve and and to mentor people. Um, And that was just absolutely uh, tremendous. Uh, And uh, not to, not to rat out uh, secretary work, but it was kind of neat watching his daughter videotape his whole speech um, with this big, uh, we wanted to videotape her videotaping the speech because she just had this huge proud smile on her face. It was pretty fun. Um, the other, uh, second awardee was Senator Susan Collins, uh, received the Naval Heritage Award, um, for her just incredible commitment, uh, over the years, uh, to maritime security, to the maritime, uh, topic. Um, you know, everybody's aware that, that, uh, she's got shipyards up there in her state and, uh, and, but, but we really were able to highlight her commitment, not just to the hardware, but to the people, um, to the people who serve. And uh, um, it was a little scary uh, uh, that, uh, you know, Senator Collins has never missed a vote on the floor of the Senate in her entire career in the Senate. And uh, and there was a vote at 530 uh, the night of the dinner. And you all may uh, may have read in the, in the news when they changed the dress code on the floor of the Senate. Uh that Susan Collins said, well, I'm going to wear a bikini now to the floor of the Senate. Well, that night she wore her uh, her her evening gown or her dress to the floor of the Senate. I wish I had a picture. Uh, talk about making news. I think that would have made news. But but her speech also was was uh, uh, was the importance uh, of her relationship with the men and women who serve. And we were very honored um, that that uh, Senator Collins said two of her greatest honors are being uh, named sponsor of the USS Farragut. And, uh, and the Naval Heritage Award. And uh, of note, Senator Jack Reed on the other side of the aisle showed up. Um, I had a little issue with a West Point grad being there, but we, we were able to, to uh, work through that. And, uh, and, it was, and it was just, it was nice to see that. And then the third awardee was Master Chief Bill Goines, um, the first uh, black seal, first African-American seal uh, and American hero. Um, and, uh, you know, his story, uh, if you don't know, if, if your listeners don't know the story of Bill Goins, I, I strongly encourage you to Google it. Not, a, not able to swim, uh, in his public pool, in the public pool in his town because of the color of his skin, uh, taught himself to swim, taught himself, uh, uh, the skill set needed, uh, to compete at the level of qualifying to be a SEAL, qualifies as a SEAL, uh, signs up for 43 schools, 43 Navy schools to become a SEAL, basically before there was a SEAL, SEAL. So when the, the SEALs were created, he was the first black person to do that. And uh, and the interesting thing about it was we had uh, uh, more than 20 black SEALs reach out to us and uh, and ask if they could join uh, for the dinner. We obviously, uh, we said, uh, we invited them, partnered with a couple SEAL organizations, the SEAL Foundation. 
And uh, and sadly, uh, Master Chief Goins was unable to make the dinner. Um, uh, he's fallen ill uh, about three weeks ago now. And uh, and so those SEALs took the stage with uh, Master Chief Ed Byers, Medal of Honor recipient, uh, another SEAL, and, uh, and Admiral Kernan, uh, who's known probably well to your audience. And uh, and one of them spoke, uh, uh, two of the SEALs spoke, uh, Master Chief Byers and also a, a Black uh, Navy SEAL, about what it meant to walk on the shoulders of uh, of, of Master Chief Bill Goins. So it was a tremendous dinner. It's the marquee event for the Navy Memorial. It uh, it really shows uh, shows off the commitment we have to the people. We were honored uh, that Vice Chief of Naval Operations, Lisa Franchetti was there, Deputy Secretary of Defense, uh, Kathleen Hicks uh, spoke as well. Uh, it was just a uh, Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, Jim Honey uh, spoke. It was just a really good, it's a feel good event. It's a great event uh, to celebrate uh, our culture in the Navy. So um, I know that you know you 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 there are any number of ceremonies going on and and performances for that matter at the Navy Memorial on a routine basis and and like you said you're on America's Main Street you're this is this is prime tourist area right between the White House and the and the um, and the Capitol and there's an awful lot of people who really don't think about the Navy at all. Uh, who are walking by, I'm sure, all the time going, what's going on over there? Let's go over and take a look. Um, there's this awareness factor that goes on, and you're just, just 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 by virtue of your physical location, you're a major player in that. That's a unique opportunity afforded to no one. You know, ships, people don't usually see ships at sea. They aren't at sea. They're somewhere else. Um, if you're not around a major port area, you don't see the ships a whole lot. There's there's a general lack of awareness, I think, in this. I mean, throughout this country, I I don't think I know um, of what a navy does, why we have a navy, why it would be important, the the whole maritime realm, how it affects people. I mean, there's a there's a shocking obliviousness among across the country, among people, and I mean, do you in your in your outreach, are you trying to advocate for that i mean you know everything you do one way or another tries to raise awareness but like you said you're directed towards towards the people the navy memorial obviously you're looking for people who serve and you're 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 directed it on serve. um but in terms of outreach um do you feel this do you do you, do, do, do people come in do you talk to people who just walk in i mean street traffic comes in and goes what is this do you ever go out and just you know schmooze with the people um, just out, out, or out, out and about, taking taking pictures of the, of the lone sailor and all that. Uh, yes, yes, and yes, Chris. I mean, you get it right. It's uh, we'll never, we as a country, will never be able to create the awareness um, that that the three of us would love to have about our navy. I mean, we fight the away game, and we're proud of that. The sad part about fighting the away game is uh, people don't come to our games and watch them, and so I I feel it a fundamental uh, responsibility of the Navy Memorial. And I take it personally to do exactly what you're talking about. Um, and, and we, we do, we try to do that in various ways. Um, I mentioned the honor flights. We've worked really hard to make them welcome here. And uh, uh, we've got a master chief on the staff here who has been engaged with them really since before the pandemic uh, ended to, to really bring them in. Tell people um, more about that. I, I mean, there, there was a big spate of, of publicity for the honor flights a few years ago. 
Um, but I don't, I, you don't quite get the sense of that post-pandemic that in the media that people are paying that much attention. It's very much a, a, an alive thing. This, this is a program. You take veterans. I mean, talk about that more. That's a great, the Honor Flight program, thank you, is, is, a, uh, is a great program. It's uh, locally coordinated, started, uh, you know, to, to bring World War II veterans uh, to see the World War II memorial. And, uh, you know, as the World War II uh, vets pass on and, and uh, they've really expanded, uh, we get a lot of, of uh, uh, we some Korean War veterans now, uh, a lot of Vietnam War veterans starting to see Desert Storm veterans. And it's not odd to have a, a OIF OEF veteran, uh, Iraqi Freedom and, and, uh, and Afghanistan. And so, uh, uh, again, locally coordinated, locally funded um, and they come, they fly into DC. If they're coming from east of the Mississippi, they make it a one day trip in and out long day for them. And if they're west of the Mississippi in general, they're, they're spending, uh, spending the night and, uh, they try to make all the memorials, the, uh, you know, the unsung heroes of, of that program are, are, uh, are not just the guardians. Every, every veteran has a guardian with them, but also people like the Capitol police who provide an escort, um, and you know, that's a, that, that's a sign. That's a message. This is the nation's capital. It's a busy city. And, uh, and the Capitol police, uh, you know, fully, nobody can park on Pennsylvania Avenue. That's a busy street, except for buses carrying honor flight people. And that's exactly the right thing to do. So, um, we, we had a gentleman, uh, a lot of people probably know him, Al Myers, Vice Admiral Al Myers. He called the Navy Memorial, uh, uh, the church church for the Navy, the feeling you get when you come in here. And Chris, what happens with these honor flights is they come here uh, with a guardian who's a son or a daughter, grandson, granddaughter, and uh, and they get into the Navy Memorial and they, it, it, they're they just overwhelmed with their, their memories and they'll start telling stories. And it's not odd to have one of the, the guardians, one of the, the kids or grandkids to, to say, hey, dad, never heard that story and the program just enables the veterans to uh to bring that forward in 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 front of their mind and feel what no matter what the conflict no matter how they were received when they came home whether it's world war ii or korea or vietnam or more recently to get that feeling that yeah you know what our nation does appreciate us and and i gotta tell you so i i do exactly what you're talking about and, and you know me that i walk out and, and we we have a little thing whenever an honor flight's coming we always know we know most of the time we know about 90 percent of the time and uh but whenever whether we know or not somebody run up and down the hallway saying honor flight honor flight it's kind of like general quarters we all get up and we uh and we go out there and greet them and uh and you know you see folks i just talked to a a, a guy uh day before yesterday um, he walking, talking fine and all that. And I said, Hey, how you doing? He started talking about his service and, and he started praising the veterans administration medical system. And I said, well, geez, what happened? And, and he says, well, I got hurt on an aircraft carrier. Uh, the, uh, the jet wash, uh, blew me off the deck, landed on the elevator. And the, what the guy has been through in service of his nation, he served for four years in the Navy, went on to have a great life. And I said to him, I said, so what do you think about your service in the Navy? And he said, I got to tell you, made me who I am made me who I am. And, um, and you, you know, he doesn't have a sign on his forehead that said, you know, he's still carrying injuries from 30 years ago on an aircraft carrier. So it's just that opportunity. And we invite people to come to the Navy Memorial. If you're ever interested to, uh, to meet honor flights, we just met a, a group of people yesterday, we invited them and uh, we have a schedule 
and uh, and let us know. We it it's just an opportunity to to stop by and say hi to veterans who want to talk. It's it they want to be asked. They're in that mode. They've gotten on an airplane. They've come to memorials, um, and so it's a real neat opportunity for them to uh, uh, to tell their story and uh, and be appreciated. You know, one thing I'd like to ask you about, uh, Admiral, is the you are a retired rear admiral, flag officer, USNRET, as it goes. Um, in addition to your duties at the memorial, but as you know, in, in your personal capacity, um, what are your views on this on this ongoing issue that has got national attention now? At least it did until the uh, until the events in Israel this week um, about the holds from Tommy Tuberville, the football coach that Alabama sent to the Senate, on well more than three hundred uh, senior flag and general officers. Their nominations are held up for months and months now. Um, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, Chris, as a citizen, I have an opinion. I think all citizens around the country have an opinion on this. Um, and I, I tend to think most of them agree with mine. Um, you know, can I swear on your podcast? Um, you can say anything you want. Um, I mean, it's gross. It's unsatisfactory. Don't You can't say you uh, appreciate service. Thank you for your service when you treat people like this. Um, and you can't claim to be a, a coach. Um, and, uh, and know what a team that the, the military has to put together, has to maintain, has to lead, um, and treat people like this. It's absolutely unsatisfactory. Uh, you know, there's a system, uh, the, the Congress can pass legislation, uh, they, they, uh, the military has got to do what they do. If you don't agree with the rules and, and the history is ripe with, with, uh, Congress, uh, passing legislation, uh, uh, monumentous legislation uh, to change the way we do things. Um, but the, the personal impact, um, it it is not an overstatement to say this is going to have a 10-year impact on people's lives. It's not just the flag officers that are being held up. It's all the people that work for the flag officers. It's the readiness. It's the it's the commands that that are are in a steady state um situation right now. And and in the United States military, steady state is not acceptable. You've got to be moving forward every day. You've got to be leading every day, and um, and you know you the, the situation in uh, in Israel on front page of the news. We've got the fifth fleet commander on hold. I mean right. that's just gross. It's unsatisfactory, and uh, and and uh, I I feel pretty strongly about it as you can tell. But but I got to tell you, I think the nation should feel pretty strongly about this because uh, we're 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 taking people who serve in a military and commit themselves. Uh, to lead a civilian-led uh, military, and we're being sucked into politics, and that's just gross. It is. I I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there are, people are out of position. I I have to tell you, for quite some time now, as I go around the Navy and talk to people, I mean, I hear about this all the time from all kinds of people at all levels about we can't do this, that's being held up, that's an abeyance, we can't do this until this, this gets decided, um, on and on. And it's just amazing, the, the, uh, the blast effect that this has it is not about these people. And it's, you know, again, you know, we're trying to legislate which we're, he's opposed to a policy. Good for you. Yet that, that is your right. This is the wrong way to do it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you speak out about it. Sir, as we mentioned at the top, um, I mean, there is, uh, you know, turmoil and conflict uh, in, in a lot of corners uh, of the world uh, as the Navy um, celebrates its 248th birthday. Um, you, you know, we, we've talked a lot about what's going on in Ukraine, um, the headlines and storylines out of uh, Israel. Um, I mean, just grab at your 
your heart and your and your head. And you know, we know that the Navy is is on watch every day in the in the Western Pacific and, and elsewhere. Um, as you celebrate um, and think about the 248th birthday of the United States Navy, I'll, I'll sort of take us out on this. What are your thoughts as you see, you know, images of the the Ford heading to the Eastern Med or um, ships doing um, freedom of navigation exercises in the Western Pacific? I mean, just sort of give me your sense of someone that was in uniform for as long as you were and someone that spent a lifetime sharing the story of the Navy. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on this day? Um, these are tough times. Um, and, you know, this nation has been through tough times before. So, uh, so I don't mean to say doom and gloom, but, but Chris, you nailed it. If you look around the world, um, uh, you know, it, the, everybody, you know, is fully aware uh, intellectually that, you know, where's the aircraft carrier, uh, but this is a little different, um, uh, you know, going back, you know, to the Western, the threat in the Western Pacific, where's the aircraft carrier? Where are those destroyers, um, doing the freedom of navigation ops? Um, you know, we're, we're a, uh, we're an incident away, uh, from shots fired. I, I fundamentally believe that. And, um, and, you know, we, we, we haven't always said that. Uh, it hasn't always been the case, but but I do believe today um, that we are an incident away from shots fired, whether it's those freedom of navigation operations you're talking about in the Western Pacific, where where China's clearly trying to expand uh, their geographical territory, their influence. And um, and the United States is is representing the, the international world in freedom of navigation. I mean, you know, we don't seek expanded uh, navigation rights. We just, we seek the opportunity to, to, uh, operate in the open seas that are internationally recognized. And then, you know, off the coast of Israel, um, it's not a cliche. This is war. It's a declared war. It is, uh, absolutely, uh, the threat of what's going on there and the potential to expand, uh, beyond the current situation is tremendous. And, and I think it's important to remember um, to your point that there's men and women on those ships um, that are out there, that they are trained. Um, as Mick Ponhoney uh, said in a sit rep he did here, um, that there's chief petty officers out there that winning or losing in war is on their backs. Um, it is their responsibility and they're training every day to do it. And so, you know, you can imagine being on the Ford or as you said, being on Ike getting underway Um that's on their mind. They're training. It is not just another day at sea. It is It is a time uh, around the world where uh, I fear we're an incident away from uh, a cataclysmic uh, situation in this world. Well, sir, thank you very much uh, for your time today. But more importantly, thank you for what you and your staff do every day to remind us of the people that of the sea services that make the away team possible. And, you know, certainly people in uniform play a, uh, an important role. Their families play an important role. Um, the men and women uh, up on the hill and policymakers play an important role. And your organization does such a great job of highlighting and recognizing all of them, while at the same time reminding the people of D.C. and, and across the country and now the world uh, of the importance of the sea services. So uh, thank you again for joining us. Happy birthday uh, to you and the Navy. And uh, we look forward to having you back on sometime soon. And once again, folks, we've been talking with Rare Admiral retired Frank Thorpe. He's the president, CEO of the Navy Memorial 
in downtown Washington, D.C. Thanks again, Admiral, for being on the pod. Thank you very much. Take care, you guys. And, and, and again, congratulations on what you do. Now hear this. Now hear this. Okay, for this week's Squawk Box, we're just going to have a brief discussion. Uh, we're going to talk about aircraft carriers and messaging. Uh, with, the, with the outbreak of war again in Israel, uh, one of the first moves the United States did was to send the uh, an aircraft carrier, Gerald R. Ford, which is in the Western Mediterranean, as we said, uh, across clear across the, the Mediterranean Sea to take station off the Eastern, uh, in, in the Eastern Med off Israel and Syria and Lebanon. Uh, that, that's, that's a major element that has been cited by the president, the secretary of defense, the secretary of state in numerous statements, public statements that they've been making ever since. Uh, as we just said, uh, there are deployments right happening right now of two more aircraft carrier strike groups, the Carl Vinson on the, in the Pacific, the Dwight D. Eisenhower in the Atlantic. And again, these are not surge deployments. This has been planned for, for many, 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 many months. Um, it's coincidental that they're taking place at a pretty um, pretty tense time in international relations. But in the, in the East Coast, uh, the U.S. Atlantic Fleet, Second Fleet, put out a really detailed press release about three or four days before the ship was going to deploy, listing that it's going to saying it's going to deploy, listing all the ships that go with it, the squadrons that make up the air wing, um, a lot of publicity. Here they go. In the West Coast, the Carl Vinson left San Diego with it looks like it's going to deploy. It's time to deploy the. Crew lined the flight deck, guys, as a ship does when they go off for deployment, not just out for exercises. But um, the uh, U.S. Pacific Fleet, third fleet in the U.S. The, on the Pacific, will not confirm that the, that, uh, the ship is deployed. They they comment officially only that the, the uh, we can confirm the Carl Vinson is underway on routine operations. This coyness played out in the Pacific has been going on for about three, four, five years. And it's just silly. It's you know one of the main ideas for a carrier to deploy. The main concepts is it's a deterrent. We're out there on station. And clearly, the way things are playing out right now, a lot of the press wants to know where are the carriers. It's a major element. Everybody wants to wants to know. But if you don't tell people that you're out de or deployed, it's not much of a deterrent. Secrets aren't deploy aren't aren't deterrents. Just can't be that way. But this game has been going on where the ship leaves San Diego in full view of a major American city, goes out, and uh, suddenly at some point they magically appear in the Western Pacific, and now we acknowledge that they're there. It's really silly, and the, the comparison could not be more stark between Atlantic and Pacific. And I, I don't understand it. I can't come up with a single valid reason why this game is being played in the Pacific. I'm pretty sure I know where it's coming from, but it's, 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 it's the leadership in the Pacific. And I, you know, to what end? Chris, you know, you were a you know, pretty darn professional U.S. Navy public affairs officer. Why is this? I mean, people like me call up and be in, and, and, and we're cranky and I don't understand it. What would you, what would you say to me over this? Well, I think the, the reason um, that, the Navy from time to time has made the decision not to share the information um, in advance or even when it happens um, is normally tied to either the personal slash professional beliefs of the commander or because um, they are trying to either elicit 
um, or look for a response from uh, potential competitors. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, we This was the occasion a few years ago on the East Coast. The, the East Coast fell into this as well as the West Coast when Secretary Mattis was um, the Secretary of Defense. And his they were working a larger plan in which um, they wanted to move the carriers at very little notice. Um, they, In fact, they even would say that a carrier was deployed. It would then come home for a few days or, or weeks. It would operate. They would say it was deployed. And then all of a sudden it would show up somewhere else, either uh, on the far flungs of the AOR or in a different AOR. Um, and they very much were looking to see what um, action or what reaction that uh, caused our competitors to uh, to have, whether they moved ships or whether they um, gave off signals intelligence. So there was a, a an operational reason for doing it. Um, my belief is on the West Coast right now that it is somewhere between operational security, that there's a belief on the part of the commanders that we just need to get in the habit of being really careful about what information we put out, but that there's also um, a reason that they want to see how the Chinese react, that they they want it to they want the Chinese and others to get used to us operating between San Diego and Hawaii, not making a big deal of the ships underway in that uh, that area of responsibility. And then suddenly um, them getting, I guess, you know, west of Hawaii uh, and, and not distinguishing whether or not they're on deployment or if that's just regular operations. I know that's a long answer, right? It doesn't answer your point about, hey, look, in a time uh, at a time like this, when the the threat balloon goes up um, or the diplomacy balloon goes up, and the the entire world wants to know where the carriers are, and our um, our politicians, the civilian masters of the military, want to use carriers as both a diplomatic and a kinetic option. Um, having this mums the word attitude doesn't really help with that. So I would say we 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 have yet to find the sweet spot on how to communicate um, when and where carriers are going so that it covers down on both the operational uh, purposes um, behind the communication, but also the diplomatic as well. Well, okay, I guess we'll leave it at that, but um, I, I still think it's kind of silly. Just to, to, uh... We Come can on. do better, Chris. I, 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 I think we can do better. All right. Well, listen, before we go, um, folks, I, I want to say uh, thanks to my partner, um, Chris Cervello, because uh, this, <laughs> this this past week um, we were honored uh, the Defense Media Awards by winning uh, winning winning award in the, in the Naval Reporting category. And I could not have been I could not have done this, and I can't do it every week without. Chris Cervello and I, you know, it, it's, it's very nice to be honored. Uh, but, but I really appreciate uh, working with you, Chris. Thank you. And let, by gosh, let's, let's, uh, let's do it again. So, Thank you, Chris. I right. really appreciate it. All right. Well, the folks that does it for this week, as always, our thanks go out to Vago Moradian and the defense and aerospace group for their support. The Cavaliers podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is one of the largest artificial intelligence and machine learning federal contractors to the U.S. government. HII, delivering the advantage. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. 
I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Campus. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hey.